Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. We start with the record-breaking heat that seared much of inland California over the weekend. In Northern California, Redding hit 114 degrees. In Sacramento, 111 degrees. In Southern California, Barstow reached 118 and Palm Springs, 120 degrees. And then there was Death Valley, which recorded a high of 130. The hot weather has led the state power grid operator to call for another flex alert this afternoon and evening, calling for Californians to conserve energy. The hot and dry conditions have also made it difficult to fight fires burning in the state, including the Beckworth Complex fire north of Lake Tahoe. It's the largest blaze in California so far this year, burning more than 86,000 acres. Crews were able to take advantage of better conditions yesterday, and it's now 20% contained. But the fire has destroyed several homes in the town of Doyle, which is about 45 miles northwest of Reno. Governor Gavin Newsom has approved an extra half billion dollars for wildfire prevention. The change comes after Cap Radio and NPR's California Newsroom reveal Newsom's administration had nixed an earlier similar amount. Cap Radio's Scott Rod has more on the last-minute change. The additional $500 million more than doubles what was in the final budget deal between Newsom and state lawmakers. H.D. Palmer with the Department of Finance says the money will help with wildfire resiliency. It could be things such as fuel breaks, clean up on state-owned properties and restoration to make them less susceptible to potential fire conditions down the road. But there's a catch. The additional money will be allocated this year only if Newsom and the legislature decide it's necessary. That's led to criticism from some Republican lawmakers who represent fire-prone communities. Here's Assemblyman James Gallagher. We need continuous appropriation, meaning definite funding in the budget, allocated and able to expend, not just there at the whim of the governor's administration, who doesn't really have a great record on this stuff. Over 4 million acres burned in California last year. Most of the state is experiencing record heat and extreme drought, and several major fires have already broken out across the state. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento. That story again is from Cap Radio, and for transparency's sake, we'll note that the budget bill includes state funding for Cap Radio's new performance space in downtown Sacramento. Last week, Governor Newsom extended the drought emergency in the state to 50 of California's 58 counties. He also asked that Californians voluntarily reduce their water usage by 15%, but he stopped short of issuing a mandate. 
The state is already working on some measures that officials hope will keep the water flowing during the dry summer months ahead. That includes a massive rock barrier through part of the Delta in Contra Costa County, which has recently been completed. The barrier is expected to help preserve water supplies for millions of Californians. The $10 million emergency project is part of Governor Newsom's executive order dealing with the drought. Jacob McQuirk, a principal engineer with the State Department of Water Resources, explains to the California Report's Keith Mizuguchi how it all works. Every tidal cycle, every tidal rise, you get saltier water pushing in from the ocean. And what happens is through either the natural melt of the snow or precipitation or the release of stored water, we're able to push the, the salts out. And so there's this push and pull of the ocean pushing the salt in and the fresh water pushing it out. And really, we need to have enough fresh water to push it out. But specifically, this West Falls River channel, it allows great conveyance from the San Joaquin River on that flood tide, pushing into the flooded Franks Track Island. And what that does is on every tidal cycle, um, you're basically further injecting the salt deeper into the interior delta. So by blocking off that channel, what we're doing is we're changing the way in which water fills into Frank's track. Um, and so now we're getting water that comes into the north from Old River. And so you're also getting more water that's coming from the McCallamy and Georgiana Slough and the Delta Cross Canal, fresher Sacramento water. And that it now goes into uh, Frank's track. So by changing that plumbing and changing that dynamics, what we're able to do is we're able to preserve the salinity in the interior delta. Why is it important to keep the salty water from the Pacific Ocean and San Francisco Bay away from this area? As the salinity increases, key constituents in the water also increase. One that's a big concern is bromide. And so as the bromide increases and you disinfect that water, it creates disinfection byproducts. These disinfection byproducts are are toxic, um, they're a problem. And at some point, you know, if the concentrations are too high, uh, the water that you're pulling out of the delta is no longer usable, you can't blend it, and it's no longer a water supply source. Looking at the bigger picture, what does this rock barrier mean for fighting the drought this year in California? Through these actions, we're able to conserve water in our upstream reservoirs, as well as through uh, California uh, being more mindful of their water use. So it does play a very important role in the bigger picture because specifically uh, without these actions, we'd utilize too much water. And so we'd, we'd see our reservoirs dropping too fast and we just would not be confident in when those would refill. And so this does play a very important role in that because it's one of the best ways we know of uh, maybe only second to conservation to be able to save some of that water so that we can use it later in the season. Jacob McQuirk is a principal engineer for the State Department of Water Resources. Jacob, thanks so much for your time today. You're welcome, Keith. Have a great day. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, 
please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Let's turn to politics. It looks quite possible that Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti will be trading Los Angeles for New Delhi in the near future. President Biden has selected Garcetti as the next U.S. ambassador to India. KPCC's Libby Denkman has more. The move by Biden has been rumored for a long time, and in the end, the president rewarded a loyal surrogate and fundraiser from the 2020 campaign by giving Garcetti this nomination. In a statement, Garcetti used a classic refrain for politicians moving up the ranks. He said, quote, when your nation calls, you answer that call. Garcetti added he'll continue to bring passion and focus to the job as Los Angeles mayor, even during what could be a months-long lame duck period between the nomination and when he likely gets confirmed by the Senate. It's been eight years since Garcetti was elected mayor, but because of a quirk in L.A.'s election calendar, his second term doesn't actually end for another 18 months. It was extended because of the realignment of local municipal elections to sync up with statewide races. Garcetti previously served on the L.A. City Council for about 12 years. If he's confirmed, Council President Nuri Martinez will automatically become acting mayor. The L.A. City Council can then vote to hold a special election or, more likely, will replace Garcetti for the remainder of his term through December 2022. But that's not such a simple prospect. Already a third of the 15-member city council are either considering their own campaigns for mayor or have declared their candidacies. So it may be tough to find an interim mayor who will be seen as a politically neutral caretaker. For the California Report, I'm Libby Denkman. If confirmed as ambassador to India, Garcetti will leave a city still struggling with a growing homelessness crisis. And over the last few days, the center of that struggle has been LA's Venice Beach Boardwalk, where the city has launched an ongoing crackdown on homeless encampments. Social workers have been approaching homeless people living on the beach with this message. We'll do what we can to get you housing, but first you have to pack up your bags and go. That's the requirement in order for me to get you into a motel room is you have to to physically take down your tent and your stuff because uh, they're going to enforce the no camping here on the beach. So that's that's what it's all about, okay? City sanitation crews and police have then moved in to dismantle encampments. Jonathan, who doesn't want his last name used, is homeless in Venice. He says he supports the city's efforts to move people off the beach as conditions have deteriorated. Getting violent. Getting too violent, man. A lot of drugs. At nighttime, it gets pretty dangerous. How long have you been unhoused, man? Uh, about two years. Two years here in L.A.? Mm-hmm. I- ideally, what would be your like ideal thing, your ideal living situation, a motel or a shelter? Both, shelter. Shelter or a motel? Yeah, because it's too, it's too dangerous, man. It's too much drugs. It's, this is turning into Skid Row. Venice is turning into Skid Row. But Angel, who's 19 and has lived in a tent on the beach for the last several weeks, is suspicious of the city's housing promises. I get, like, the sanitary thing. I get keeping it clean, you know what I mean, with people who are living outdoors. But if you don't, like, have a place for people to go, programs to put them into, and, like, ways to help them, then it's inhumane to just sweep people, just kick them out, because they're just going to go somewhere else, you know what I'm saying? 
But the crackdown in Venice could be just a taste of things to come in Los Angeles. The city council has approved the drafting of a municipal ordinance banning the homeless from camping overnight in many places around the city. At a three-block-long homeless encampment in L.A.'s Koreatown, we met George. He says theoretically he likes the idea of moving into housing, but worries about his possessions and mental state if he leaves the streets. That would be lovely, right? But what about our property? Because when you go to a shelter, this is everything that we collected over the time. This is all we have. This is this is our, it's some some things that is personal. Yeah. What what's going to happen to to our things? Like and then you have you know some people some people that's used to being outside they can't function yeah. behind closed doors. You know, it's, it's, is it's, that you? It's, it's Are you somebody who's like that? Yes, it's yeah. a mental. I have a mental a, a mental issue that so even with all the problems living out here like this, you still prefer this to maybe going someplace else? Yes. Yeah. Yes. One tent over, a man who calls himself Raven, says he worries that the city will use a heavy hand to dismantle homeless encampments as public impatience with the homeless grows. What's going to happen is the same thing that happens all the time. You're going to break us up, break up the communities that have been formed, that have a common language, have a common understanding, separate us into separate communities that where we don't know anybody, don't trust anybody, where we don't really know where the resources are, and you're cutting us off from the areas where we have developed resources because you think your resources are better because you haven't had a conversation with us. So you're saying, although it doesn't look like it to me, an outsider, you have a community here, you're saying? Yeah, and the reason why it doesn't look like one is because you haven't lived in it. Meanwhile, back in Venice, city authorities say the dismantling of more camps will be delayed by a week so people have more time to pack up their belongings. The St. Joseph Center, which is working with the city to find housing for people who've been moved from the beach, says so far it's found temporary housing for 104 people. And that is the California Report for Monday, July 12th, where a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and as always, have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And Blue Shield of California, closing the health care gap since 1939. Learn more about their commitment to quality and fair health care for every Californian at news.blueshieldca.com. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randal Dirfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. 
You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.